This week on the pod, we break down the 2019 AFL Grand Final, discuss Dusty standing in the game and talk the Gold Coast assistance package, while Christian Jolly from Champion Data reviews season 2019 in stats. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday. Happy Monday after the grand final. And congratulations, I guess, to Richmond for... I mean, the game wasn't the greatest, uh, Neil Seawang. Hello to you. But uh, what a performance by, by the Tigers. I mean, not, not the, obviously the best spectacle, as I said, but um, a dominant performance caps off a, a wonderful year for the Tigers. Caps off a wonderful year and, a, and pretty much caps off a, a dynasty. I think we can all, almost call them a dynasty team now in AFL terms because it's so difficult to win bunches together. So like the, the Hawks and of recent years and, and the Lions in the early 2000s, I think Richmond have can probably lay claim to being a dynasty team as well. Might delve into that a bit deeper later on, but Jake Michaels, you were there. Uh, what were your overarching thoughts possibly halfway through the second quarter? Do you think it was sewn up nice and early for the Tigers? Yeah, well, I was just saying, uh, I, first goal of the third quarter, it was, it was over. There was always a, a glimmer of hope that they could come back, but once they kicked the first goal of the third, it was, you know, I thought it was over and that's when I kind of started making my way to, to the back of the box and started writing a few words. Chipping so. away at some uh, copy? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, uh, what did you think of the game from your spot in the box of Champion Data? Yeah, well, I mean, the best team of the season won it and uh, it was probably the result that, you know, they deserved. But, yeah, just as a footy public, it was just it was a flat feeling to the end of the season ended that way in such a sort of, uh, a, you know, undramatic sort of fashion. Well, uh, not flat is this room at the moment because we actually have one of uh, Richmond's biggest supporters. Producer Jesse is going to step up to the mic and uh, how are you feeling, mate? I, I think your voice is a bit scratchy after Saturday. Yeah, I don't know how the quality of my voice is this morning, <laughs> but I can tell you how quality my weekend was. <laughs> please, <laughs> in, please please, indulge us because you didn't quite you get a ticket. You like you had that line prepared. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. You didn't get a ticket to the game, uh, unfortunately, but your afternoon must have been uh, just magnificent. Got to watch the game at Punt Road. Uh, there was 12,500 members at Punt Road, uh, a bunch of big screens, and that's what I did in 2017 as well. And the atmosphere was amazing. It wasn't quite the same as 2017. Lots of people are comparing them. And as my mum likes to say, it wasn't better or worse, but it was different. The way to put it. Mm. The feeling was not so much of relief, but just of joy. We You could really enjoy it this time. It wasn't like, oh, my God, we did it. It mm. was like, how good is this? How does it rank in terms of your your best days of your life? I still say 2017 is probably the best one, but this one's definitely up there as well. You're not married, are you? You know, haven't got a, uh, a fiancé or anything to well, sort of... It'll stay top of the list for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Hey, uh, we probably should get into our first segment for the day. It's time for three on three. Three on three, uh, we're going to go through three different topics uh, in about three minutes each. Neil, you sort of touched on it off the top, uh, the dynasty discussion because I think it was probably the most one-sided grand final we've seen for some time and the Tigers losing in the prelims last year to Collingwood was a bit of a shock this is now three years in a row where we've seen the Tigers be one of the well probably easily the best team of the year you know they failed to make it in 2018 but the dynasty discussion is a very relevant one and they're now in the conversation as you said of being one of the best teams of the modern era I mean where do we sort of stand on this well, 2018 might have been their best year, and they didn't win the flag that year, and they've won flags either side of that year. So you can probably say you've got a three-year period, and they've comfortably been the best team in the competition over that 70-game stretch, if you like. Um, going ahead, look, their play, it's not like they've got a whole stack of players about to retire. It's hard to see this... You've got players falling, returning. Yeah, well, it's hard to see this falling away anytime soon. I, I think it was so important for them 
to win it because they have there was a bit of commentary about if you dominate if a team dominates for three seasons in a row and only wins the one flag which I think Essendon famously mm. did mm-hmm. um, when they were just about unbeatable for one season um, so if Richmond had have lost again it would have been a really big wasted opportunity so the fact that they were able to win two out of three and um, and go really deep in in the year in between it I think it that in in this era of you know, of drafting and trading and and salary cap equalisation, it's, it's pretty hard to get there three three years in a row effectively, and they've they've won two out of the three. Christian, you've covered footy and stats for a long time. I mean, what do you sort of think about Richmond, and where they sort of stand in in terms of the modern greats? Yeah, so I, I think definitely it's a it's a it's a dynasty, and you can call it that. The one discussion I'm starting to hear is which dynasty was better? Was it Hawthorne's mm. three peat? Was it Brisbane, you know, four grand finals and winning three, or was it you know Geelong in that five years? I don't think we need to discuss, or I don't even think we need to sort of work out which one was best. Just acknowledge that they all are on mm. par with each other. I think that's the problem. Is everyone sort of trying to judge? Oh, is this better than the Brisbane team? Is it better than the Geelong team? Well, no. It's just they're now the modern. They, they are the the greatest team of modern times. They've sort of taken over from the the mantle of Hawthorne would have had. You know, at the end of coming into 2017 season, they would have still been favourites to win that flag. Um, but yeah, that you, you've got to put them up there. Again, a good point about the Essendon. Again, remember back to how dominant mm. Essendon was, 99, 2000, 2001. And they just, you look at 18 years' time, they haven't won a final, I don't think, since. And they only won one premiership in those years. So it, it, it can sort of, it can hurt you further down the track if you don't take your opportunity at that time. But J- Richmond certainly have. Jake, you were there. I mean, you sort of saw how comprehensive that, that beating was. I mean, the Giants arguably probably weren't the second best team all year. They were the second best team, uh, well, they were the best team on the day, on the prelim. Um, but... I mean, in terms of the performance by Richmond, how, how did it rank? How did it stack up in terms of their pressure and, and the way that they used the footy? Well, I think it really just summed up Richmond and the game style that we've come come to sort of know and the, the game style that they play. Um, it was fast. It was ferocious. There were times where they had the ball and, and the Giants looked... I, I, th- I don't think it's fair to sort of say they weren't... They didn't deserve to, to be there or anything like that. Like, obviously, from a spectacle point of view and perhaps a competitive standpoint, Collingwood being there might have been a better game. But you can't take anything away from GWS. They they earned their spot in the grand final. But there were times where they just looked completely outplayed and out of their depth. Like, I, I don't know whether it was a, a matter of just not having the grand final experience. Um, look, they've only played, you know, 15, 16 games in the club's history at the MCG. You know, that's a big thing to then come there and play in front of 100,000 people. So it's so, it was so foreign for them. Um, you could tell at the start of the game, they, they looked, they, they, Christian and I were talking about, they kind of wanted to take a little bit of the heat out of the game and slow it down and chip chip the ball around. Um, just then, in their game style. Yeah, but then but once, once Richmond got on top, it was just, that they just couldn't stop them. As, as you wrote in your piece, um, which we published this morning, Matt, it was really interesting the way that Richmond have got such a, a frenetic move the ball on with hand, um, so quickly at all costs game style and then they they really did tinker with it in the grand final they really they had an uh, I guess a, a little bit of a tactical um, change of plans I don't know whether it was by default or by design or whether I, they I kind just... of yeah it's interesting I kind of likened it to if, if you're a fast bowler and you're, you're bowling your stock ball you know five balls of the over and then the sixth ball of the over it's a slower ball but it's not too slow it's not slow enough that the batsman can then go oh this is a slower ball it's that six, seven, ten kilometres an hour slower and it's just enough for teams to be like, oh, or the, or the batsman in that case to be like, oh shit, he's got me, mm. you know, and, and he's already played at the ball. And the the difference was, like, in, instead of 
the handball meters game, which has been such a strength. They've been of theirs. by far like almost double the number two team. Double the number two team, but but uh, on the weekend on Saturday, it was their uh, meters game from kicks, which was their highest um, handball meters. Uh, most they gained from kicks this year. Most yeah. meters gained from kicks this year, which is a, a little bit different. And and the like, you can kind of look at the game and think, yeah, this is still Richmond, but it was just tweaked enough that the Giants would have gone in and thought, oh, hold on, this isn't going to plan at all. And, and they would have been rattled in the coach's box as well as out on the field. But that's pretty scary for the rest of the competition if they've just found another way to win and win a grand final by 89 points. And it's not their traditional game style, if you like. That, that That's a pretty scary thought heading into next season. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that that um, that I'm I'm really aware of is not to, not to forget how bad of a, how poor a club Richmond were seven or eight years ago they were they weren't a basket case they weren't Geelong uh, sorry G- uh, Gold, Gold Coast, Coast style which we'll, we'll, <laughs> Ge- all those G's getting mixed up which we'll discuss a, a bit later but they, they weren't horrendous but they were they were really ordinary they were, they were I think they lost at one point in Hardwick's first year in charge they might have lost like 13 or 14 games in a row at one point mm. And now look at him as a two-time premier. Exactly, it's amazing coach, how yeah. how much they've built and built and built. And now, from from a whole club perspective, let alone the team, they're they're just a, a club that you need to need to admire and respect. So great point. So confession time. I was a Richmond supporter till I was oh. uh, the age of five. So my dad oh, and no. uncle are both Richmond. So they enjoyed their weekend. Uh, switched to Carlton at the start of 1987, oh. <laughs> um, which worked out all right. By the end of 87, we won a premiership and I was on board for life. Well. <laughs> but I've been saying, I probably I started at Champion Data in 2003. I've probably said about around, uh, around 2009, 2010, when people sort of talk about your footballing history, I said, well, I was Richmond until I was five, changed to Carlton. And I'd always said, in my heart, I reckon, if I was Richmond all the way up until the age of 20, I wouldn't have been following football as much as I was and I probably would have dropped off and not worked at Champion Data. So I sort of said, well, I was, you know, glad that I switched at five to sort of, mm-hmm. I mean, Carlton haven't done much, but, you know, in, in my uh, formative years, teenage years, they were quite a dominant team. But I've always sort of laughed about Richmond seeing that for 30 years, of, for the first 30 years of my life, they were the basket case. How terrible. Every just, year. Just goes to show how passionate, I guess, the Tiger Army are. Um Speaking of, of of passion, I mean, when you saw Dustin Martin get up on the on the dais when he won, won the Norm Smith Medal and, and yelled out "Yellow and Black" before he got down, I mean, he has just cemented himself as one of Richmond's all time greats and and one of the, the greats of the modern era. I mean, we kind of talked about it uh, last week, I think, after the Brownlow Neil about where sort of Fife and Dangerfield and, and these blokes are. But geez, I tell you what, Martin's has has built another case because he's just the fourth player to win two Norm Smith medals. I think Gary Ayres, Andrew McLeod, and, and Luke Hodge. So. I mean, where do we start talking about him in terms of the modern greats? I th- yeah, it, it's really interesting. I think one, the one thing that he has over over his peers is the fact that he that he's undoubtedly a, a big game player. So I think Fife was pretty reasonable in in his one grand final without starring, and and unfortunately for Dangerfield, he hasn't got mm. a chance to to, sh- to prove himself on grand final day. So the fact that that Ma- they're all neck and neck those guys, but if Martin's had two bets on grounds in two grand finals, like I think that has to give him the edge. I. I- you were saying he's in the discussion for one of Richmond's best players of all time. Why isn't he in the discussion for the, one of the game's greatest players of all time? I mean, I can't look back and say, oh, such and such from the 60s or 70s or 80s was great. I didn't get to watch that firsthand. But when you watch him, and I've always said, I think Dangerfield's the best player in the comp, but nobody impacts a game more so than Dustin Martin. How he can just stamp himself on a game. His kicking is elite. He's unbelievable around goal. I mean, we talk about Gary Ablett being so good around, you know, a midfielder that can play forward and just kick a, have 30, 40 goals in a season at his best. You know, Martin could go, Martin could play permanent forward and kick 50 goals a year easily. 
Yeah. I mean, he's a freak talent. No one can tackle him. He he just he's an incredible player. And as you say, he's a big game player. Fifteen weeks ago, we were like, oh, where is this guy? He's he's fallen off the cliff. He's not playing well. He got suspended. He just wants to get through the regular season. He's just like, get me to finals and then I'll turn it on. I think that's a big part for me. So I think perception plays a lot of it. So again, going back to our discussion last week, I sort of said Dustin Martin for me was the best player at the top of his game compared to Dangerfield and Fife. It's just that how often does he bring that very, Mm. very best game? And I think, you know, me and Jake were talking about it pre-pod. It is. It's almost like home and away season, especially first half of home and away season. Dusty's just going. He's he's playing well. He's, you know, he's he's doing what he needs to do. He had a few... uh, he had a few shockers to start the year off where a lot of people were sort of starting to write him the off. The Giants thinking, game. Yeah, the Giants game in round three. And I think he had another one two or three weeks later where people just sort of thought, is he really committed to footy? Whereas you look at the two that we're comparing him to, Dangerfield Fife, you know they're going to bring, they, they, they're going to be 100% switched on each week. They're leaders of their football club. Mm. I, I know that, you know, they're not both captains, but, you know, Patrick Dangerfield's obviously even leader of the AFL Players Association. They carry that sort of reverence about it. Every game is 100%. I think Dustin Martin is a bit, I know, yeah. a little bit laconic and can take it a little bit easy, but exactly, if, if you're picking a team on grand final day, Dustin Martin's going to be your number one pick because he's proven it. The scary thing about him too, he's late 20s, isn't he? So he, he might have another five, six years to go and champion players like that can still continue to excel through their 30s. So mm. no, look, there might be another couple of chapters to come. If he was to, re- to retire tomorrow, would he be in Richmond's five greatest players of all time? Yep. Well, let's throw some names out. I mean, Jack Dyer. Royce this Hart. is really hard for people. That, I know. So you but have you can, to go but by you can history. Still, you can, like you know, you, I've, I've sort of seen um, little highlights packages, and you can sort of see the list of honours these blokes have. But like you know, Dyer's Richmond royalty, Royce Hart royalty, Kevin Bartlett royalty, uh, Francis Burke. I mean, but none of uh, none of them, Hafey as a coach. None of them have gone have have gone done the the Brownlow Premiership and Norm Smith treble. Yep. In the same year as well, too. In, well, in the same year. But, He's but got to be top five, doesn't he? If, right if he right go, now. If he goes on to win another Brownlow, which, let's be honest, is not anywhere near out of the question. He could flag, do it next year. Yeah. If he wins another Brownlow and has two, two, and two, and who knows? He could... I mean, it's... Richmond's best of all time? It's it's getting to be get, getting to that point. I mean, it would be, put him in the discussion. And people always carry on about stats in sport and, and those sort of achievements. It would put him in the discussion for the greatest player of all time, whether you like it or not. It'd have to. And what about how crazy it was the fact that he almost left to go to GWS maybe four or five years ago when he toured their facilities? When I he was forgot bit, about that story. Yeah. I only read it this week. When, Unbelievable, the isn't final. it? Yeah. I know. And the fact that he was a little bit um, disgruntled with a contract offer, he was still a little bit... Um, I guess messy around the edges in terms of his personality and I think Richmond weren't overly desperate to keep him because he was quite hard work and he almost walked to their opponent on grand final day. I I read the story as well and I sort of remember uh, when he went up and toured GWS it was the week of round 23 or just a couple of days after round 23 so obviously you still got a month and a half before trade period actually happens and you can make any moves. Probably probably worked in uh, Richmond's favour that he sort of toured their facility so early seemed like he was going but he had to wait four or five weeks before he could make it official. In that four or five week period, he's actually, you know, changed his mind and stayed at Richmond and made the greatest decision of his life. Crazy. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you can, you talk about sort of sliding doors moments and, and that could have been one. That's a, a massive one in terms yeah. of both the Giants and, and the Tigers. Uh, from, I guess, the top of the ladder down to the bottom, uh, news has, has broken uh, on Monday morning that Gold Coast would be re- receiving uh, an assistance package and, geez, what a package. Uh, I'll just sort of run, run you through it here. They, they've, so they've already got pick one in, in this year's upcoming draft, but they got... Uh, Pick one again. So their pick became pick number two. So they've got the first two picks in this year's draft. Uh, they've also got the first pick of the second round, which is currently pick 20 in this year's draft. Next year, they'll get a mid-first round pick at a round pick 11. And then in 2021, they'll get the first pick of the second round draft, uh, of, the, of the second round in the 2021 draft as well. 
In addition, they'll also get Darwin uh, added to its uh, academy zone. So some of the Northern Territory's best players will, will be zoned off to uh, the Gold Coast Suns and they'll be able to uh, rookie up to 10 players, which is uh, rather generous. Uh, firstly, I guess, where do we stand on, on, on if this is the right decision and, and to what extent it was the right decision? I, I, I'm I shocked at how broad and... It's massive. This assistance package is basically almost like a start, almost as the equivalent of a startup club. I, I was really supportive of the Suns getting a huge amount of help because they are so in such a dire position, but this has exceeded what I assumed that they would get. I think we kind of assumed that maybe they'd get pick two. Well, this is... Be able to pick the two, uh, the, the the two standout. Raul and Anderson. Yeah, two standout players from this year's draft class. But this is uh, this is something else. You yeah. can only top up this club so much with talent. I mean, if if the talent either wants to leave or it doesn't, you know, they don't turn out to be the players that they'd hoped. If Gold Coast in two, three, four years' time is still at the bottom and players have left and it hasn't worked, this package they can't do this package every year or every, or every no. couple of years. No. This is almost like Breaking last chance. Year. It's like let's throw it all in. That's why, and that to me is like the fact that they have put together such a huge package. It's like let's put everything into it, and if that doesn't work, then there's probably not a whole lot more we can do. So, from a Gold Coast point of view, it has to succeed off this. Yep, I think it's it's almost an unofficial admittance, if that's even a word, from from the AFL to say we got it badly yeah. wrong at the start. You know, mm. ten years ago when when the club was formed, here's pretty much effectively a startup package again. Make sure and maybe even work a bit more hand in glove with the the Suns and make sure that they don't stuff it up. What does this mean for Stuart Dew? I mean, he had a, uh, a Christmas year day for for Dewey, isn't it? Isn't it? But that that means he probably has another two years without being under the microscope of of being fired. You'd think it, it, the development they're going to have to have over these next three drafts. Surely he's the man that they're just going to say we're going to we're going to stay with you for three or four years and, and see where this goes. Yeah, they need to stay consistent with the head coach I, because again, there's so many young players, so many new players coming in now. I, I don't think. I don't think you want to be messing around with the coach. You can't really judge him anyway. And, and the times yeah. earlier in the season when he's had had a pretty fresh and healthy list, they've actually performed pretty well. It's just, you know, from about a third of the way through, that's when they've fallen away. So picks one and two, Christian, who do we, or who do you suspect? I mean, it's pretty obvious who they will probably pick, but I mean, there are surely a few other candidates they might be able to take uh, with with these selections. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, the, the two names that have sort of been linked with them since, you know, three or four weeks ago when everyone thought they were going to get pick one and two was uh, Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson. And they they are. They're the perfect pick one and two. I, I wouldn't be, you know, trying to do anything fancy if I was Gold Coast. The reason being, they're best mates. They've, they've played together throughout their junior career. They're both coming from the Oakley Chargers. Uh, they're both midfields and they both complement each other sort of perfectly. So you look at Matt Rowell this year in the NAB League uh, playing for Oakley Chargers, 31.6 disposals per game, eight clearances per game, eight and a half tackles per game and 0.4 goals per game. So an inside midfield doesn't hit the scoreboard too often. Noah Anderson, uh, 28.3 disposals, five clearances per game, about four and a half tackles per game, and two goals per game. So he's your, he's your sort of forward, uh, you know, your midfielder that can go forward, nat five, Patrick Dangerfield-like, and probably get you a couple of goals. Two so those, goals and 28 a game. Correct. Across, across NAB League. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so two great pickups there. And again, the, the whole fact that it's it, it's a duo, it, they're, they're previous guess, teammates. Yeah. They both play next to each other in the midfield, and they have complementary skills. That that's an important element. It's, it's very much like how Brisbane mm. started drafting um, mates as well. Um, 
And look, you know, look how Brisbane have. I guess all those little building blocks ha- um, are really important when you're coming from so far down below. The fact that they've got two good mates who are probably more likely to commit long term than if one was missing home and, and whatnot. And the the other two that I sort of have, you know, as as likely number ones, um, it's sort of two different type of players. So Hayden Young's going to go pretty high as well, uh, but he's more of a general defender. So he's the number one ranked general defender uh, in the NAB League this year. He's probably your your Nick Haynes and Lockie Whitfield. I know they're not the same type of player, but he's a very good interceptor and a very, very good ball user. So he's going to go high in the draft, but he may not be that bona fide midfielder uh, that Gold Coast need. And the other one that could go number one is um, Tom Green, who, again, he's a he's a GWS Academy player, though. So whether he gets that early bid, I'm sure GWS is going to match him. I don't think any other club's going to end up with, uh, with him besides GWS, but he's at 33 disposals per game, 20 contested possessions. Uh, sorry, yeah, 20 contested possessions, 10 clearances, and nine score involvements per game across his NAB League game. So they're sort of the four guys that are in the mix to go number one. But again, with Gold Coast getting pick one and two, I think you just you don't even look at the other two and you sort of take the two, Raul and Anderson, as a package. Our, well, our draft expert, Chris Dore, um, uh, likens him to uh, Patrick Cripps, and he reckons that Green is almost the equivalent of Patrick Cripps when he was when Cripps was undrafted or in his draft year as one of the most complete inside midfielders that he's ever seen. So the Giants have got another ripper coming along. Pretty high praise there. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, Cripps has been pretty good and will probably win a Brownlow himself at some point. Pretty handy. Uh, pretty handy. Hey, before we move on to our next segment, uh, because we are in, in, in the off-season now and, and talking about uh, priority picks and assistance packages and, and free agency, is free agency harming the lower clubs? I mean, I, I think it's a resounding yes, it seems like. But you look at someone like Tom Lynch, who, who went to the, the Tigers a couple of years ago, and, and now he's, you know, the, the showcase piece in a prelim win and played a really good part in the grand final. I mean, is free agency detrimental to these clubs that are getting assistance packages from the AFL? I, I certainly think it. I think it's now easier once you're a really good, strong club to to stay at near the top because the free agent, not that many free agents want to leave to go to a a really poor club. And I know free agency was introduced to give players the power to to walk wherever they want, and I'm you know I understand that, but there used to be a lot more fluctuations. I reckon when it was all equalised through the draft and salary cap, but now there's that extra element where a club can. You know, look at look at the way that Lynch joined um, Richmond. Perfect example. You know, Richmond were already a really good team. They said, "Hey, we, we can somehow fit you into our sa- salary cap, which mm-hmm. is great work from their their list management team." But a guy goes from the worst worst club in the league to the best. Still trade for Josh Caddy and, and these sort exactly, of exactly without costing a draft pick. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. a little bit of devil, devil's advocate here. So it, I think it will sort of help the stronger clubs slightly more, but I don't think it's going to be uh, you know sort of completely one-sided so the other one i'll throw up is um Lockie neil i know it wasn't a free agent but Lockie neil identified brisbane as his destination he wanted to go to brisbane they were you know mm. were second or third last last year and i know you know he has helped make them a better team but he he didn't know what he was going into he could have been going into the wooden spoon side for the year so there is there is clubs that can probably do it right with their off field their culture and trying to sell themselves to play so i i don't think it's going to be Clearly, all the players are just choosing top clubs. Not it's all just, of them, no. it's just when it happens, it sort of sta- you know the Tom Lynch going to Richmond stands out. But I think yeah, you can look at other blokes. I mean, even a few blokes are starting to nominate Carlton this off season. So I mean, there's no I'm success just... there. So that, that's a bonus for us. But yeah, it, it is. I think it's um it's still a little bit too early sort of to to start panicking about free agency for sure. Well, the silly season is uh, definitely upon us. So that's one to keep an eye on uh, later in the next month. Let's move on. How about stats? With Champion Data. 
Well, we've uh, we've all seen the grand final by now. Uh, you'd suspect probably most of us through the uh, beer goggles of some description, I'm sure, except for those of us who are actually working. Uh, so I thought we'd throw it over to the expert eye of Christian Jolly, who was at the game, and what you might have seen that some of us might have missed from the grand final. Yeah, so just a, a few of the, um, not so much quirky stats, but probably two lesser spoken about stats um, from across the weekend. So going back to what we were talking about earlier about GWS and how they sort of took the heat out of the game early. They, they sort of chipped the ball around, played very control footy, a lot of sort of backwards kicks and sideways kicks for the first 10, 15 minutes, just getting the ball through everyone's hands. To me, I thought that was a, a slight issue with their game style. So by the end of the match, we'd seen about 220 marks taken across the two teams, which is the most marks ever taken in a grand final. Uh, Champion data has only been doing the number since 2000, but marks have, is one of those stats that have sort of risen every year since. So we're, we're pretty confident to say, but pre-Champion data days, no one was taking 220 marks in a grand final. So it was that sort of game. What we banged on about last week and probably all year with GWS is stoppage game, clearances. They were the number one team scoring from clearances. So a lot of marks in a game and a lot of sort of uh, open space. It, it didn't lead to a stoppage game for the Giants and it sort of hurt them. So there was only 32 around the ground stoppages for the game, which is the fewest in a game for the Giants this season. So they didn't mm. get to sort of play to their strength and try to outscore Richmond from clearances because the game was never, the ball was never in a stoppage. Well, we, Matt and I are both looking at each other, I think possibly about to ask the same question. My question was, so how did that happen? Did that Was that a failure from the Giants to set the game up their way or was it Richmond somehow constructed the game to play out on their terms? I mean, this is a complete guess from being just an observer um, and obviously sort of calling the game and watching it. I thought Giants did it to themselves. I thought they, they wanted to settle the nerves. They sort of wanted to take the heat out. I think they knew they were playing against Richmond and 100,000 fans mm-hmm. in the stands. So let's just get that confidence. Let's just trip it around between ourselves. Let's get our hands on the ball, feel for it, you know, kick and hit targets. To me, it was about 10, 15 minutes in the game. I said, this looks like an issue for the Giants here. That, that's not how they're going to win this game of footy if they play this way. And it, it almost, it was, again, haven't looked at the number. I could probably, you know, dig deeper into this. But it, it seemed like a low, a very low pressure grand final because the ball was continually sort of out in space. Well, it makes sense that you'd want to slow the ball down, get the ball into your players' hands, except Jeremy Finlayson's hands, uh, you know, a bit early, just to just calm the nerves, as you say. But when... By the time that that happens and, and you're trying to maintain possession, it just means that there are more opportunities for Richmond to force a turnover, which is their bread and butter as well. So Correct. It, it you just, could almost yeah. say it just felt like, even though the Giants want, had good intentions in trying to slow the game down, it played into Richmond's hands beautifully. And, and one thing we notice about Richmond is they don't, they sort of don't defend the whole field. So they'll let you kick to the boundary. They'll let you kick to the wings. They'll sort of, they'll let you share the ball around half back. They're just sitting at your centre half forward, or, you know, at their centre half back, just waiting for you to come into that territory. That's when they win it back mm. and beat you on the counter-attack. So... Again, we sort of spoke about Richmond during the year. I think they had a, you know, they were one of the only finals to have been the negative for disposal differential. So they didn't mind the opposition having the ball all season. It was what they did once they got it. And we sort of saw that on the day. So again, um, Richmond outscored GWS by 57 points from turnovers. So we always said that was going to be the strength for Richmond was scoring from turnovers. That's the Giants' worst result this season. So so no other, no other team sort of opened up the Giants on the uh, turnover as much as Richmond did on the day. Uh, the other interesting stat for me is Richmond only had one more disposal than the Giants for the whole game. So I find that fascinating. I mean, everyone kind of always talks about disposals as a big stat, and obviously it's had no impact. The, the amount of possession, if you like, that the Giants have had, it hasn't really helped them, has Correct. It? So I think it was what we were talking about before, the, the surge footy, the, the, the kick meters game. The, the, they were actually gaining meters with their disposals going forward, playing and taking footy. That's what I thought in the first 10, 15 minutes. Giants had a lot of disposals for not much gain territory. Mm. So it was like, you're sort of wasting time here. You need to get on your bike. You need to 
be the first to score, which they they were. Je- Jeremy Cameron kicked the first goal probably 15 minutes in the game. Good goal too. Um, Great goal. But sort of from then on, they just they just didn't get it into scoring. But even Jeremy Cameron's goal wasn't from a scoring position. He no. marked it from outside 50. They just they just could not get the ball to dangerous spots. Didn't you tell me after the game that um, the Tigers finished plus 1200 meters gain compared to the Giants? Correct. Yeah. And this yeah. is despite one winning winning what, the what, disposal count by disposal, one. Yeah. It's mm. it's uh, you're right. It's bizarre that that surge footy that, that Richmond played it up right so there, well. Yeah. So there's only been sort of five guy five games in the last ten years where a team's had a disposal differential of two or less and one by bigger. So one of the you know bigger games it was Adelaide had two more disposals than Essendon in round twenty two thousand fifteen and one by one hundred and twelve points. So you you sort of do see those quirky results, yeah. but for that to happen in a grand final was just sort of amazing. And it, it again, it just it, it stacks up to Richmond. We saw it all year. They they did not mind the ball being in the opposition's hands because. They, they're going to defend their back 50 well and you know we don't care how often you chip it to each other across the wing it's it's what you do afterwards that we're going to get you on amazing yeah and little wonder they won they're just such a well-drilled unit hey in terms of the season as a whole though looking a bit broader towards some other clubs as well maybe what stood out about season 2019 in the champion still data feel, still offices? feels weird that that the season's over, hey. It's over, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think... Looking back at the season as a whole, it's like, oh, yeah, it actually has finished. Yeah, it's, been a, it's been a long season. It has been a long season. Uh, so I've, I thought I'd just touch on some of the individual highlight games from across the year. So, you know, the most disposals we saw in a game this year was the 51 Lockie Neal had in the final uh, round against Richmond, um, which sort of uh, brought him to become the fifth or sixth best player to ever reach 50 disposals. Um, so the list of names we got that have reached 50, Tom Mitchell... Uh, he's actually reached it three times. He's the only player to do it more than once. Uh, Greg Williams in 1989, so again, pre-champion data days. Uh, Gary Ablett did it in 2012, playing for the Gold Coast against Collingwood at the MCG. Barry Price did the it Gold in Coast. 1971. Surprised Jake let that one fly. Uh, Scott Thompson uh, did it for Adelaide against Gold Coast as well. <laughs> um, and John Greening and Tony Shaw, sort of two Collingwood players from the past. So again, um, I'm sure they all got criticised for getting 50. Well, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about you. John Greening and Barry Price, but I can tell you probably all the rest of them. Yeah, we're sort of seen as detrimental. No one probably games. knew they had 50. <laughs> um, another one that we saw this year is North Melbourne had 514 disposals as a team in round 22 against Port Adelaide. That's actually the second most that we've ever recorded uh, for a team in a game. The most was um, St Kilda had, I think it was 520 against Fremantle in round 23, 2013. That needs oh, an asterisk oh. there because they were basically playing against Fremantle's seconds. The catalyst for the bye before so, the, uh, the So finals. I'd almost love to take that game out of the record. But special. <laughs> again, North Melbourne has sort of hit the second highest mark we've ever seen from disposals. Uh, so taking disposals one step further, who had the, I sort of looked at who had the most disposals in a game at 100% efficiency. And that was Brad Shepard this year. So he had 27 disposals at 100%, 100% in one game. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, not bad when you're just chipping it around in the back. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this, the second game, though, this, uh, so he had 27. There's two players that had 22 touches and 100% disposal efficiency. One of them was Brad Shepard again. So we, I Lightning think we've got to give twice. credit where credit's due. He's a safe ball user. Uh, and Tom Stewart also did it with 22 touches. So all-time record in champion data time. 39 disposals at 100% efficiency was Joel Bowden in round 13, 2008. Talk about chipping it around. Yeah, I was going to say, so, kick it to himself. Does that count as uh, a... No, that wouldn't have counted, <laughs> but it would have been a lot of sort of sideways kicks and backwards <laughs> kicks and things like that. So, um, you yeah. Gotta, sort you of, had to pad the stats. Sort of, it, 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 it's sort of still interesting that, you know, Brad Shepard sort of, I think he gets um, a lot of credit for what he does defensively. Uh, I know he's not sort of, he, he's not moving the ball like Dustin Martin or kicking like Dustin Martin, but to have two games where you've had over 20 disposals, 100% efficiency, you, you sort of know that he's going to be safe in your back line. Uh, so the most metres gained in a game this year came back in round one. James Sicily had 908 metres gained against Adelaide. Hmm. 
Again, Joel Bowden holds the all-time record with 1,153. Oh, that's that a stat pad too. That was in round four, 2009. So He would have kicked to himself, run 15 metres, and then booted at yeah, 58. Yeah, it could defense. have been a lot. So I, <laughs> the one thing I remember for Joel Bowden as well, he he basically invented the uh, the obvious rush behind. He would just kick into himself, take a few steps back, and rush another behind just to buy himself another. If, you, if it wasn't a good enough option, he'd just buy himself another 10 seconds and actually... I think he gave about three behinds away in a row just to find the right option one year. So Far ahead of his time, I think, Joel Bowden. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the most tackles in a game this year, Jack Steele had 18 in round 16 versus North Melbourne. So, again, that's the equal second most we've recorded in a game. We've had three players reach 19 previously, including Tom Liberatore, Jack Zebel, and uh, ESPN's own Jude Bolton had uh, Very own. <laughs> 19 in 2011. Um, so similar to tackles, the most pressure points in a game this year was 115 by Elliot Yo. In round 10 against Adelaide, that's the equal sixth most we've ever recorded. Uh, a, sort of a quirky one. The most smothers in a game this year was six by Rory Sloan. And that was in the same game as Elliot Yo's pressure points uh, high. So that was round 10 against West Coast. Who has the record for most pressure points ever? Uh, so Kieran Jack had 122 in 2013 so against the Bulldogs. So it's not Bulldogs. Fev at the 2009 Brownlow? No. <laughs> <laughs> we, were that we were recording that. Singing man. So, yeah, the six mothers for Roy Sloan. I mean, you know, no one ever looks at smothers, and we probably don't in Champion Data either. Ran that query and realised, okay, he's actually equaled the record of all time. So the most smothers ever recorded in a game was six. Uh, so he done that this year. And Sean Burgoyne actually did it in the semi-final against Adelaide in 2015. Um, the most hitouts in a game this year was, again, um, just last week's, the 73 hitouts uh, Brody Grundy had against GWS in the preliminary final. Uh, that's the third most all-time. So the most hit-outs ever recorded is 80 in a game by Todd Goldstein. Uh, we saw Patrick Cripps equal the record for most clearances in a game when he had 19 in round 19 against Adelaide. Um, most contested possessions in a game this year was 26 by Lockie Neal. That's sort of six, still six away from the all-time record of 32. Um, most contested marks in the game was Aaron Norton. He took nine in round seven against Richmond. Jake Michaels famously said he'll never do anything like that again. Um, and I don't think he has. Jeez, <laughs> oh, oh, early 20-year-old kid. Again, he, he was one away from uh, breaking the Wayne Carey's record when he took 10 tying, in round 6, right? 2000. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, in tying his record. We, we just feel like that's one of the records that's going to be hard to break. We just don't see as many. I mean, there's, Carey took 10 in round 6, 2000. There's, there's teams that don't take 10 in a game. Um, wow, so that was a really now. one out so, of the box. Yeah, so to see Norton take nine and get so close to that sort of That's what we thought was That's why I said it'll record. never happen again, because Carey didn't do it again. Well, they say they say Aaron Norton's a new Wayne Carey. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> I don't know. Someone does. <laughs> it's um, a silly season. <laughs> and just another one, just probably one of the last ones. So the most spoils in a game this season was actually Tom McDonald. Uh, he had 18 against Richmond um, earlier this season. Actually looked at his game and thought, I don't remember him playing in defence that often this season. That was the only game he spent more than uh, 1% in defence. So he played 100% in defence <laughs> in that game. There. So he wandered down at one so point. So it, it was un- actually unusual to me. It was like, well, he, he is. It's it's almost that problem of Melbourne. He is our best key forward, but is he your best key defender as well? He's a good spoiler. Well? Yeah, I think that might have been, that might have been when Melbourne had... Uh, none, no, none of the Melbourne key defenders were playing. We had... Um, Lever still not I back. Right. I think Stephen May wasn't playing. I think Oscar McDonald might have been injured too. Um, and McDonald, Tom McDonald was also terribly out of form as a forward, so it was an easy decision to flip him, but it only lasted one game. Yeah. 
Um, and just a couple others. Most score assists in a game this year, seven by Gary Ablett in round 23. Again, the, the, the world record, as we call it, for that is 11 <laughs> by uh, Steve Johnson in round 19, 2011. That would have been the year that he and I think it was Cameron Mooney had a bet about who could <laughs> set up the most goals throughout a year. That's right. I reckon uh, no, that might well, have been that no, year. No, I think that was actually, that was around 08 grand final. So right. Cam Mooney, I think he actually did pass one off in the 08 grand final, which they ended up losing. That He sort of said, well, I think he was a little bit too obsessed with worrying about the score assist rather than kicking the goal himself. Um, but that that game there, Stephen Johnson's 11, there's, there's plenty of records in that game. That was actually um, Dean the, Bailey's last game. Was that the 186 game? Oh, yeah. I've already erased that from the memory. I think there's the most inside 50s, <laughs> the most score involvements, the most score assists. Yeah. They're all sort of belong from that one game. Good game. Um, <laughs> so again, been banging on all year about our two sort of individual number measures, so rating points and ranking points. So I looked at who had the mo- who had the highest rated game this year and who had the highest ranking points in a game this year. Max Gorn came out on top for the same game in both measures. So he had uh, 212 ranking points in round 23 against North Melbourne, which was the most by anyone this year, and 35.4 rating points in that same game, which was the most by anyone this year. So again, he finished that game with uh, it was 41 hitouts, 15 to advantage, 26 disposals, 20 contested possessions, 10 clearances and 3 goals. <laughs> That's a fair game. 5 intercepts, um, 8 marks. So taking out the hitouts and what he's actually supposed to, you know, he's a ruckman, so his job is mm. to win hitouts. But just the con- 20 contested possessions and 3 goals, I thought, gee, that's that's a rare number to reach. It's almost a Brody Grundy-like ruck performance. Yeah. You don't see Gorn, Gorn's strength isn't that... Well, I guess that shows that he can do that follow-up work around the ground. But yeah, yeah that's amazing. I mean, and most of his follow-up work previously has been the intercept marking. He's probably been behind the ball. So to be able to go forward and kick yeah. 3. So... Just looking at guys that have had 20 contested possessions and kicked at least three goals in a game, Dangerfield's done it five times. This is in the last five or six years. Dangerfield's done it five times. Fife's done it four times. And the only other names um, sort of alongside them are Patrick Cripps, Josh Kennedy from Sydney, and Callan Ward, GWS. So Max Gorn sort of goes into that list of sort of sort of genuine Looks inside a, midfielders. Yeah, I was going to say, the list is a bit uh, lopsided when you sort of add Gorn to that. <laughs> Well, Melbourne's got about 20 inside midfielders on their on their list, so Gorn is just another one. Yeah, don't need, don't need another one. But again, sort of having those two individual measures and they're sort of measuring different things, it's good to see that the same game came out on top of both measures. So, so it sort of does show how dominant that game was. Very good. Nice little snapshot of, uh, of season 2019. It's time to move on. I've had a gutful. Jake, you were at the MCG on Saturday. So I'm you mentioned f- that a couple of times. Did you enjoy your day? I did. It, it was, was a nice sunny day in the end. It was it was chilly early, and um, and I was a bit disappointed because I thought uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna be really cold today. But then Jesse told me that he got sunburnt out out at Punt Road. So. Jesse's a very pale man though. He so. is, but I'm not exactly <laughs> this is, tan myself. <laughs> this was your first grand final in any shape or form, wasn't it? To, to it was. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't a great game, but the um, the day itself is obviously you know pretty special and. It probably, I was saying to you earlier, it didn't hit me until probably 10 minutes before. It just seemed everything was like normal, 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 normal. And then once it was kind of 10 minutes before, that's when I kind of thought, oh, it's a grand final. Because you kind of look around and all of a sudden the stadium's full. Um, but then once the game starts, it just feels like any old game. So um, it was yeah. such a great day for you then, obviously, a, a first and everything. But have you found something that you can have a rant about today? Well, I have. And I feel like it's something, and you know what it is, and, and you're going to be disappointed. You're shooting with, Bambi. You're <laughs> going to be uh, disappointed to hear this, but it's the truth, so I'll have to say it. <laughs> it's the <laughs> truth. <laughs> can opinions be true? I mean, um, yeah, <laughs> it is glossing over that. If you're saying it, I guess. <laughs> obviously, the story around the grand final was Marlon Pickett. 
I mean, incredible story when you think about it. Never played an One AFL game. Best five players on the ground, I think. Yeah, third in the uh, Norm Smith count. Inf- impact and influence go. was. You want to take over? Or? <laughs> no, no, so he comes in. Never played a game before. Obviously, we all know the story. Comes in, plays really well in the grand final. Um, Tigers win by 15 goals. And he's played one game, one premiership medal. And it's funny, you look at the list of, of Richmond greats, and, and not just Richmond greats, but all these players that have played two, three, three hundred games and done all these, had all these achievements and never never won a, a premiership. So Someone tallied up, I can't remember the exact number, of all the games that the St Kilda Football Club had played <laughs> for one flag and then had Marion Pickett with one wow. game and one flag. It was so <laughs> harsh. That's stiff, yeah. <laughs> so obviously we all know that. We don't have to keep going, talking about Pickett, his story, but... What I was kind of, I guess I've had a gutful of, if you like, is everyone carrying on about how great he was. Now, there's no doubt he played well. Pretty much every Tigers player played well. He played well. It was a good first game. But to suggest that he was one of the two or three best players on the ground is ludicrous. He, he wasn't. He just wasn't in the two or three or four or even five best players on the ground. In fact, the champion data ranking points, ranking or rating, they had ranking. him ranked 10th. 10th. Which is great. You can't trust champion data all the time. Well, we I don't, I don't even trust that. Oh, I sort of said, so with ranking points, they sort of they sort of get measured when the game's the closest. So again, if we probably look at the first half, he, he I think he would be one of the top four or five ranked players in the first half. And that's where the game was won for me. So uh, even I sort of disregard those stats for today. No, I, I, th- I think he was good. I think he, look, he turned the ball over, but I don't think his efficiency was that high. Um, his spin that everyone's talking about, he didn't actually get by anyone. I mean, it was cool and it looked flashy, but... <laughs> a blind turn away from nobody. The blind turn, there was nobody there. So it wasn't really that, imp- you know. So Look, there's no doubt that he's a star. You know, it was a great, great occasion for him. And I hope he has a great career now and, and he'll, he'll play more. He should be playing week in, week out. Um, but to suggest he was one of the best players on the ground, everyone getting swept away and carried, carried away in this story. Because had Dustin Martin not had an extraordinary game, he might well have won the Norm Smith medal, and that would have been a little embarrassing. I'm, I'm with you, Jake, and I think I think we're maybe in the minority across the football landscape. Matt, yeah. you don't agree with this, do you? I, look, I, I, I get it. It is a sexy story, and, and people just want to get sort of swept up in the emotion All of it. All game, but you were messaging me, pick it, pick it, pick it's a story, pick it's a story. <laughs> well, you were, it was you a good were, story. We were, it was it was no a great we were story. trying to narrow down what the actual story was, and you actually wrote about him in your, in your piece. I did, and he much. was good, but he wasn't. He was very but, good. The, he was, yeah. I think what you got, what you kind of need to look at, he had the second or third most meters gained on the ground, twenty two disposals, kicked a goal, um, tackled inside most inside fifties on the ground. Yeah. But also, it's the intangibles that you've got to look at. The way that he lifted that team when he did that blind turn and middle around nobody, and then hits up Castagna, <laughs> the crowd lifted, his teammates lifted, and then Dusty kicks it to him. Um, it was at the third quarter, midway through the third, midway yeah. through the third, and he kicks that goal, and the crowd lifts, and, and his team lifts. And I'm telling you now. If he hadn't been put through the middle of the ground um, early in the game like he was and, and got a few early touches and the crowd and his teammates get around him, maybe the, the Tigers aren't, you know, rolling as well as they are earlier. But I'm telling you it's right now, if, if Cochin or Prestia or Lambert or even Martin, they have that exact game, no one talks about them. Probably, they, don't, no, they don't get a single vote not. in the Norm Smith medal and, and they're, they're just, it's forgotten. But because it was the first game, it, everyone, everyone had eyes on him. It was his first game. But see, the intangibles, Jake. Like There's no yeah. intangibles. <laughs> anyway. No. Get um. move it on. <laughs> but no, in all honesty, though, it was, it was a great performance. For, 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 let's, let's remember that it was the first game and, and you can't take anything away from him. And he look, he deserves it. It's not like he just rolled out and did nothing and then collects his medal. He's, he certainly earned his medal. You Apologies did. to Marlon Pickett. You've, we've had a gut full of you. So there we go. <laughs> let's move game. on. And the three votes goes to... <laughs> 
Uh, Trent Cochin gets my three votes uh, this week. Not because <laughs> No, uh, because Trent Cochin, geez, he's a bloody good leader, isn't he? he is. He's just, like, I think the the moment that sort of stood out for me about Trent Cochin wasn't on the field. He had, he had a good game. He, he probably played a sacrificial game of, of sorts. Um, you know, probably didn't have his most sort of freewheeling, impactful game that you'd normally expect from someone like Cochin. But one of the first things he said, he was the first person to be interviewed on, on TV after the win. One of the first things he said was something along the lines of, well, our VFL team won last week as well, so it'll be a big night, you know, celebrating the two wins. And it just sort of struck me that this inclusivity, he's just such an amazing leader, and it's little wonder the Tigers have built such a culture uh, that is so positive and so welcoming and so club-based, and it's little wonder they're such a good side, and I think he, he's one of the, the main reasons for it. Well, you talk about the little things um, that Pickett and everyone else does, but for me, the, the, the one of the biggest things in the grand final was the tackle he laid on Mumford really early in the game. It was probably in the first three or four minutes, I think. Mm. And that stuck was into just, him afterwards a bit. Yeah, and remember last week we did our, our combined team and, and we weren't sure whether we would put him in or not. That's right. <laughs> and it was like a, and in the end it was like you just have to have him in purely for what he brings. And that's the sort of stuff. It's those hard tackles. It's the fact that he lifts everyone more than Pickett. He <laughs> does. And, and and look, he he's a tremendous leader and I think now that he's a two time premiership captain and a Brownlow medalist. You now we talk about Dusty, but you know he's got a fair legacy as well, Cochin. I, I think Cochin kind of personifies what what Richmond, the club, is doing and has done over the last few years. That um, I guess changing of a mentality around a, a team and a club. It's not it's not us against them. It's not we're going to run through brick walls. It's not let's attack the opposition. It's you know that real humbleness, that real um, I guess exposing their own vulnerabilities and being comfortable with that. And obviously Hardwick's um, uh, been a key driver in that, but you can tell Cochin's done exactly the same thing and, and it's almost like a new mindset of a football club. So one of the things I keep hearing from a lot of the players, I think Brandon Ellis said and a fair few others are saying that they're glad that they're Richmond men and they, they want to be a Richmond man. So you can tell it's something that the, it's a club mantra. I don't know what the definition is, but I could just look at Trent Cochin and go, I think that's that's yep. that's the definition of a, of a Richmond what man. What a great legacy for him and, and, and the people who have established that culture. It's almost similar to the famous Bloods culture that Sydney set up in the early 2000s when they used to be a really poor club and then they became a great club through the establishment of that culture, Bloods men. You can tell that they're tired. And, and we were now. talking about it earlier. He, he turned that club around from 25, 30 years of sort of misery. So, yeah, he's probably been one of the key drivers in that. Mm. Probably deserves more than three votes, but uh, that's all I can give him, unfortunately. Um, we weren't going to have a footy tip segment this week until Jake Michaels uh, <laughs> piped up and, and wanted me to to let everyone why, know. Why did he want? Why did he want to? Well, apparently, he won the ESPN Disney Footy Tips competition. Apparently, so. it's there it's for all to see. <laughs> one 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 game clear was it? I think so. How did you go? I know we uh, we remember you bragging about the seven you got in in round one, and I don't think you did too well after that. <laughs> I found myself mired in mediocrity not long after that. But congratulations to you. Do we do you win a prize? Do we know? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Complaining. I think there's a little mini trophy that we produce each yeah, year. Yeah, there is. There's a trophy. A oh, well, I was uh, fortunate enough to win it a couple of years ago, and I had the trophy, and I thought it was mine to keep, and then. At the oh. end of the following year, someone came and took it away. <laughs> it's like the Bledisloe Cup. It just goes between uh, yeah. everyone who wins it. Hey, um, we probably should uh, leave it there. This is going to be one of our last podcasts for the year, Neil. I think we've got one more before the draft, which is in late November. We'll do a special um, look ahead to the draft. But, 
Yeah, it's been a big year. Um, yeah, well, I think we're going to get uh, ESPN draft expert Chris Storr in to have he'll some come in and, Q&A and, and chat yeah, about the draft. So that'd be good. Say he'll know more than more than us three goons that stand here. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess really thanks for for joining us on this journey. Uh, first year of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast. We've enjoyed having you along uh, for the ride, and and we'll be speaking to you next year, bigger and better, no doubt. Absolutely, and a special thank you very much to uh, Christian Jolly, who's come in and joined the team for for this year. He won't be part of the the one-off um, draft podcast. So this is his. This is you uh, pulling up stumps for the year, mate. Thanks very much. No, it's been great. Great free agency acquisition. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, much much thanks to you. I mean, you've added a dimension to this podcast that uh, we don't really see on many other pods. So we hope you've enjoyed listening to it, and we will speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.